0: giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello everybody and welcome to the Giant Robots the Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm Ben and I'm here today with the inimitable Derek Reimer. Hey Derek. Hey Ben. So, we're back home from Microconf. Yeah, Microconf was the thing that happened. How was your experience? Uh, it was awesome. Yeah. It was um going to two was kind of a lot. I think it was five, ended up being 5 days in Vegas. It's a Long lot of time Vegas. To be in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> um, but not, it wasn't too bad. The conference itself was was very solid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really happy with how my talk went. Awesome. Last year was your first
1: micro comp. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So, how did you like the split of growth and starter this year compared to the combined one last year? I think I was okay with
0: it. I liked it as a speaker, as I said earlier, because uh, yeah, it let me tailor my talk a little bit more. Mm hmm. I don't know that I would have gotten an invite to speak at Growth. Yeah. So it was nice to have that opportunity. I didn't mind it too much. It was kind of a bummer that part of the way through, a bunch of people that I knew left. Yeah. And I ended up not getting a chance to see a lot of those people very much because I was still finishing my talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to not be in that position, but I was. And so I like a couple of the cocktail hour things, I skipped for, like one of those and then missed some of the talks and just... Didn't have quite as much exposure to the people that I'm friends with already. Yeah. Uh, and so that was kind of sad.
1: For me. Yeah. No, I can hear you. Yeah. There were a number of folks who um, I'm accustomed to seeing every year for the last four or five years, and uh, I just got to see them briefly in passing at the little handoff party.
0: But, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd say that's the, sort of the, the drawback. My, I think my hunch is that net-net, it's a good change. Yeah. But not being able to see people, kind of one of the drawbacks multi-track is an interesting idea i kind of was I was chatting with rob about formats after the mm-hmm. after uh, starter and he was like don't say multi-track <laughs> and i was like well maybe there's a way to do multi-track that doesn't suck and then, then everyone's at least there at the same time and yeah uh, yeah unclear yeah but overall really good experience i feel like i always walk out with like a lot of inspiration and interesting ideas i feel like i learned some really interesting things so, mm-hmm. yeah, as a as a educational experience, solid again. Yeah. And as like a talking to other people doing what I'm doing thing, also very good.
1: Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, um so the the big thing for me was like I was basically like 90% focused on my talk for the for mm-hmm. the thing, which is one of the drawbacks of speaking where it's like it's kind of the only thing I'm thinking about and like I said I was spending a lot of time not at other things because of it. Yeah. But I am happy to say that I I think it turned out really well. I heard you killed it. Oh, thank you. Um, in a good way. <laughs> I'm glad that's the, that's the word. Um, it was one of those things where it wasn't feeling... So I gave the talk Wednesday morning, and it didn't feel right as of like Monday night. I was still like, this talk just, is just not quite there. Mm. And then I woke up at 2.30 in the morning, Tuesday morning, Oof. and like, was just like, I figured it out. And I went over to my computer and I wrote down like a bunch of stuff. And I was like, yeah, there we go. This will be fine now. Nice. And then I went back to bed. It was like this weird, my like subconscious just like figured it out while I was sleeping. Wow. And then after that, it was like, okay, now I feel like I'm just like, I'm just polishing. This is like roughly where it needs to be. Were you like under stress during that whole time? Or did you, did you, were you expecting that moment to come where it would all click in for you? I was kind of under stress, actually. I wasn't really sure how it was going to turn out. I was in this kind of mindset where it's like, okay, this the, the talk as it stands is not going to bomb, uh, but I think it's just going to be like a B, like a B-ish mm-hmm. kind of talk, mm-hmm. and that wouldn't satisfy me. So I wasn't like, you know, terrified that everyone was going to think that I was a horrible speaker. Yeah. Um, but it was just it, it was stressful. Yeah. Like I've mentioned, I I want to do a really great job on talks all the time. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't where I wanted it to be. Yeah. But it was it was a surreal experience, like to just like wake up. It was like I like woke up and was like, that's it. It was, it was bizarre. It was like one of those like flash of inspiration moments. Yeah, those are rare. Those are rare. Yeah, I, that has never happened to me actually with a talk. It's usually mm-hmm. more like it kind of just iteratively slowly appears and eventually it's mm-hmm. like I, I chisel enough of the the marble away that there's the talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time it was kind of just like all at once. It
1: usually only occurs with me with like programming things or like figuring out something technical. I've had like something come to me. in Yeah, know totally. Before, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. But so like I wrote, I think like two versions of the talk and threw those away after I did the survey and then gave a third version to uh, Damagi and then felt like that was terrible and then threw most of that away and mm-hmm. then it kind of went through like two more major iterations Yeah. and I don't think I've ever had a talk that has changed quite so much hmm. from start to finish mm-hmm. and I think it was kind of a, a side effect of that like the talk wasn't a thing that I had thought of and then proposed to give it was mm-hmm. kind of like I was trying to distill the talk out of things I knew and things I thought about right. and things I cared about right but um, it went well. I had attention, which was, which is like, that's like one of my biggest things I pay attention to is like, how much eye contact am I getting? Right. And I did a, I did a handful of like weird things. Like I always do like um, some snapping, clapping exercises and some like, let's talk, like let's chant in rhythm and like all kinds of like just weird things. Yeah. And a couple of times I felt like I could feel people drifting a little bit. And so I hopped off the stage. Which really freaks people out because they're like, "Oh God, yeah. what if he comes and calls on me?" <laughs> um, nice. So I think I had just enough of that that I, I was holding people pretty well, and then I was happy at the end of the day with the, where the content ended up of the talk.
1: Were you in growth when Ezra gave his talk?
0: I was not on e-commerce unfortunately.
1: Okay, his talk was funny because I think he's he's accustomed to quite a bit of audience interaction. And I got the sense, like, within the first 10 minutes of his talk, he was, he was really like, come on, guys, are you even interested in this stuff? Because I think it's histor- the microconf audience is historically mellow group. You uh-huh. know, we're just kind of, we're pretty chill. Yeah. And <laughs> probably a bit
0: less animated than some of the venues that he's spoken at. So, so I, I gave this feedback to Rob, is that I think there were some aspects of that room that kind of reinforced that lack of interaction. Hmm. Um, just the way, like, there's a stage that was kind of set back from the audience. Uh, the audience was in darkness. Yeah. It just has like, it felt like there was a pretty intense separation of mm-hmm. speaker and audience. Uh, and so we were kicking around some ideas of like, if there's like a, a way to put the stage kind of in the middle, like in a, like a amphitheater style where it's like the audience kind of wraps yeah. around the stage and
1: mm-hmm. like, you
0: can see everybody cause they're at like a different elevations.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: think there was some, some elements, cause I heard a number of speakers comment on that. The fact that they felt like the audience was like, like a little bit unresponsive, a little bit dead kind of. Yeah. I, I think the room and the setup. And the ambiance actually plays into that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It may just be that that actually is the, the microconf audience, and they're not there to to interact with you as a speaker. <laughs> they're like, "No, yeah. I'm here to learn. No, no talking."
1: But. <laughs> yeah, and my so my first experience on stage was quite a thrill. Let's let's hear about <laughs> it. I was there,
0: but but share the experience from your perspective, if you would. Yeah.
1: So just to quickly recap, I gave an attendee talk, a twelve minute talk that was voted on by the attendees. Um, so you could throw your hat in the ring to give one of these uh shorter talks and the top 8 were chosen. And so my talk was on transforming customer input into features, something that I feel like I know pretty well from my day-to-day, so I was I was pretty comfortable with the the subject matter. Mm-hmm. And so the biggest hurdle for me was the experience of getting on stage and delivering this talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, leading up, let's see, I'll just kind of tell the story leading up to it. I would say the the final half hour before it started, I was actually feeling pretty calm. And one of the interesting bits was I was expecting there to be a podium on stage mm-hmm. and there wasn't. Yeah. So my plan all along was to have pretty minimal slides because I didn't want to fall into the trap of potentially reading my slides. And I wanted people to be focused on what I was saying and not what was up on the screen. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I had the talk broken up into four different parts and basically the, the four steps of this transformation that I was talking about. Um, so I just had a, a headline for each step and I was planning to riff on each one for three to four minutes each. And I had an outline down, condensed down to one page that I'd used in in my practice. And it was, I felt like I was getting to the point where every time I delivered it in practice, it was, I was like starting to bore myself. Like I felt like I, I had such a good grasp on my my examples and the points I was going to give mm-hmm. that the outline was becoming unnecessary. So since there was no podium, nothing to set my outline on, I decided not to take it with me. Mm -hmm. That was probably a mistake Mm. (laughs) in hindsight. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I was feeling pretty confident, trying to just remain calm. Mm -hmm. And so I was first up on the first day, which was nice. Got to get it out of the way early. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, the first time stepping on the stage, it was a different feel than I could have pictured like the I was warned ahead of time that there were the lights were bright from the back of the room uh, because the recording was back there and so you know someone had told me like you could basically only see the first few rows which could be a good thing if you're you know if you're looking out at a sea of faces and potentially getting distracted by that then Mm. what you're seeing is limited right to the first few rows so Mm. I wasn't too too afraid of that but it all came back to me as soon as I got up there held the mic up to my mouth and started talking I was like that's right. You have, to, you have to contend with hearing yourself coming through the speakers a little bit, mm-hmm. and you have to contend with your voice not sounding the way that you expect it to sound, <laughs> and the bright lights, and the lack of having your safety net was act- actually threw me off a bit. The safety and net of the just- notes? the safety net of the notes yeah mm-hmm. and even small things like seeing the timer tick down next to the slides mm-hmm. i think i mean that's a really good thing if you're experienced and you you want to have the the real time timer clicking down the whole time so you can keep track of where you are but if you're not then that almost can be a distraction cuz you're you're questioning yourself wait am i on track am i moving too fast am I moving too slow and those are all just opportunities for distraction to creep in while you're up there yeah so i Started the talk. I, it was all a blur, man. Like, I <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't even really remember what I said up there. Uh, my my talk, too, I, by
0: the way. It feels... Really? just it races by.
1: Yeah. It was interesting. I did take a look at the MicroConf recap notes. Uh-huh. Um, there's a, always a scribe that takes detailed notes on all the talks. Yep. I was pleasantly surprised to see, like, most of my content made it into the notes. Yep. But there were... Yeah, I got to my second point. I was about five minutes in and completely drew a blank on the example i was going to give which surprised me and so that was the one stumble i made where in total i ended up leaving out probably three examples that i wanted to give Uh uh, just because my mind was a mess up there Mm -hmm. but of course no one knows that no one knows my outline the only tell was that i was obviously nervous and i did stumble once and was like okay hang on a second lost my train of thought Mm -hmm. i'm going to try to think of where i what I was supposed to say. And I gave myself maybe five seconds, which felt like an eternity. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't coming to me. So I just punted on that point and moved on. Mm -hmm. Um, So ultimately ended my talk a little bit early. Uh, I didn't use my full 12 minutes because some of those examples were left out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, coming off the stage,
0: I was my initial assessment of myself was that I totally bombed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was interesting being in the audience because I saw you like lose your train of thought. And then I just sort of like saw kind of saw you in your head like, thinking, Oh, God, now I'm bombing. And I was thinking and I, I was I was feeling empathy for you in that moment. Because I was yeah. the thing I was literally thinking was, he's going to think this was way worse than it was and is going to be yeah. beating himself up about it. Yeah. And, and, that's, that's, exactly and that's what, what happened. happened. <laughs> right?
1: I basically I mean, I got to go back back behind this the, the stage curtain for the next 45 minutes while the other talks were being delivered. Uh-huh. And I was just, that was terrible. Like, yeah. Was- what were you thinking? I was just mad at myself. Like, Mm -hmm. how could I bomb this badly on the stage that I feel like is a really important stage? Like, this is, this is my audience, this is my people, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's a high caliber of of people there, especially at the growth edition. You know, there's super successful business people, people running multi-million dollar companies. And here I'm trying to throw in my two cents about some small slice of the work I do and feeling like you've bombed in that moment is just a terrible feeling. Yeah. And luckily I got to, I, I talked to some, friends backstage i got to talk to rob back there and and he was kind of like look man it wasn't as bad as you said he's like i understand you're mad at yourself right now mm-hmm. and then really the validation came when the next break came and i came out from behind the stage and i was like well guys i totally bombed didn't i and everyone was kind of like what are you talking about right exactly
0: um, <laughs> it was funny there was someone standing there with us as we were chatting with you and you were saying like oh like i totally bombed it and he was like ha 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 and then he was like wait seriously
1: <laughs> and like
0: you he, he thought you were joking yeah. yeah, yeah. Just goes to show, like, it's it's so hard to, like... Like, we're so hard on... People are so hard on, on themselves. Everyone oh, is. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. so hard to be gentle with yourself in the face of, you know, not performing how you want to.
1: Yeah. I think I have been characterized as a perfectionist before, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that definitely rears its ugly head when, in scenarios like this, where you're yeah. trying to evaluate your own performance. And I think you know? when
0: you think of this from a, a more neutral perspective, and you say, how did the first talk you ever gave at MicroConf go... As you say, mm-hmm. oh, I forgot a, an example or two that I wanted to give and I finished a little early. It was like, yeah, okay. And? Right. It's like, why are you beating yourself up? Like, that is 100% a normal thing to have happen in a talk, like one of your, like the first talks you're giving. Yeah. Or even, even late. like that's, that's, that's normal at any time, actually. Yeah. And the, the notes thing, it turns out, was a big variable. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like so much that like you screwed up your talk. It was like, oh, there was this thing you weren't anticipating and you, right. you thought you could rely on your memory, but in on, like in practice... When you have those nerves going, like, sometimes stuff just, like, disappears. Yeah, you're you're in, like, fight-or-flight mode, which totally. I think is... I think that's basically what it is. You know, you're looking out
1: at this, and it's, like, your lizard brain taking over. Like, it's... Like you lose total control. Like, mm-hmm. I had it memorized, but that doesn't matter in that moment because y- your brain is clicked into a different mode.
0: Yeah. Minimizing the number of variables between practice and performance is, like, such a huge thing. Yes. I wish you had said, I'm thinking about not using my notes for example, because I would say, have you been practicing with your notes? And you'd say, yes. I'd say, okay, bring your notes. Yeah. Like even just hold yeah. them or like, so I actually asked Xander to put like a stool out on stage during my talk because I had been mm-hmm. using some notes still. Mm-hmm. And I wanted a, a little place just to put those in case I needed to fall back on them.
1: Yeah. So that's lesson number one yeah. is I, I definitely would have had my notes with me at least folded up in my back pocket in case I right. needed to pull them out. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is I would have stepped up on stage at least once before. You know, Mm, just mm -hmm. like during a break or something, just stood up there and maybe done a little like a few words into the mic just to feel what it what it feels like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't the first time, you know, filling that room. Yep. What else? Oh, I I probably would have put a bit more on my slides, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think I could have stood to do that. and, And in talking with Rob afterward, he's like, you know, I usually use it's like I put enough on the slides to prompt me in the event that I do need. A reminder of what I was supposed to say next yeah but I never feel like he's a slide reader you know like totally so I think there's a balance there to be had and I know I swung pretty far in the direction of minimalist slides mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> uh, so that may have been my fault <laughs> no I mean I like the I like the spirit of it and I think this talk definitely could have been delivered without more things on the slides but I think probably my level of experience I probably needed as, as many
0: safety nets as possible just just for mm. my own comfort level mm-hmm. you know one more thing just on that so i i've competed in singing events before mm-hmm. and so you have judges and they're they're scoring how you're doing and sometimes during performances like a blip will happen like kind of what happened with you where you just sort of like lost your train and couldn't remember the thing and like had to skip to the next slide yeah and those are categorized as performance errors which mm-hmm. is different than like how they're rating you so it's like okay they messed that thing up But in my eye, I I can tell that that is not how they like like what would normally happen to them. It's just that this one time out of fifty, they happen to have that error, and so it's like they make they give you a little little penalty. It's like okay, that was an error, but it's not like we've marked you down in the singing category because we think you can't sing. Like there's a distinction between those two things, and I I think that's a great way to think about things like that that happen. Right. It's it's relatively small in the grand scheme. It is. yeah. Yeah, and people can look at it with. Uh, compassion or, or empathy mm-hmm. and say yeah mm-hmm. that was you know you, you had a little blip there but like i can tell it's a blip it's not like you didn't practice this talk or like yeah. if, you, if you gave this again i'm sure you would not make that same mistake right yeah holy moly guess who sponsored this show i bet you know it's fresh books that's a little song i wrote called i bet you know who sponsored the show by ben orenstein it's off my new album Ben Orenstein by Ben Orenstein. It's on vinyl. It has 12 songs. Song number one, uh, I got the invoicing blues. Song number two, cloud accounting software for the masses and why it's awesome. Redux. I have a guest vocalist on some of those tracks. Derek Reimer shows up for several raps. He does, honestly, a really amazing rap on track seven which is life as a freelancer where he talks about his days in the trenches and um, the, the struggles he went through at FreshBooks. If you want to send a professional invoice, boom, 30 seconds later, done. Want to get paid online? Sure. You can get paid up to four days faster. You can, people can give you a credit card, just pay you when you've done some wonderful work for them. As a side bonus, you get a 30-day unrestricted free trial for FreshBooks. If you want to claim that, Just go to freshbooks.com slash giant robots and enter giant robots. And how did you hear about a section for a trial of the best invoicing, booking, freshing software out on that Internet? Thanks, FreshBooks, for sponsoring this podcast. So you you touched on slides for a second, and I have an interesting slide story, which is um, as of, I think, like Sunday, I was Mm going to use no slides. Mm. And so I had submitted like a here's my intro slide and here's my conclusion slide and that's it. And I was chatting with Rob about that. And he was like, you know, just think about maybe having some slides. He was like, I've, we've been doing this for a while and we've seen people and sometimes the people without slides end up kind of tanking because it's hard to hold attention without some sort of visual aid there. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm not going to tell you to do it, but think about it. <laughs> and it was interesting. I was still kind of like on the, I was kind of on the fence. I was like, ah, I still kind of don't want to do it. But I was, I was thinking, if I don't use slides and I bomb, then I'm a real jerk. <laughs> you know like if i if right. i use slides and i bond, then like at least i tried but if yep. i was like no 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 i'm sticking with this then it's like wow like way to way to ignore some advice like from someone that's been doing this for a while and right. so i was like okay fine I'm gonna, i'm gonna make some slides and so i did and i went with like pretty minimal slides like you did where most of my mm-hmm. slides had just a couple words like people reading from slides is one of my pet peeves yeah and so i avoided that but i think they actually i found a way to make them enhance the talk like mm-hmm. I, I included some interesting screenshots and just some like things that kind of accented what I was saying and gave people like a mm-hmm. little something to look at during my points and I think the talk was actually a lot stronger because of it. Yeah. I'm surprised to hear myself saying that at, at the end of the day I think the talk uh it, it needed it and it would, it helped a lot.
1: Yeah, oh, that's that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. I feel like as a as a viewer yeah, there's only a few talks I can think of where they were able to hold the speaker was able to hold my attention without any slides and i think they were predominantly inspirational type of talks yeah you know if there's anything technical going on then i feel like there needs to be something up there
0: Mm Mm-hmm. and and, uh, rob made a good point he was like you know steve jobs used slides (laughs) i was like hmm okay that's a good point like gary vaynerchuk uses slides and like he brings all the energy so it's like okay that's yeah fair (laughs) fair points fair points so yeah i'm glad i did that in retrospect yeah i want to bring up a thing and you said this not knowing it was going to be on the podcast, so we can cut this bit if you, if you don't want it. But sure. there was a point after your talk where we're chatting and kind of trying to like reassure you that like the sky wasn't falling and everything was actually okay, and that yeah. you were a good and impressive person. Uh-huh. And at one point, I was like, dude, like you are the co-founder of Drip. Like, Don't forget that. And you yeah. said, I feel like that means nothing. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. You may have still been in your post-talk shock.
1: I was uh, yeah so I was partially in post talk shock, but I think it's I think I've definitely experienced a fair amount of imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, which yeah. is pretty common among us developer types or, or humans just, or humans I don't know, yeah, so i felt I was feeling in that moment like sure I have like this impressive resume item, I guess so mm-hmm. to speak, you know, but like but well, what does that really mean if I
0: just delivered a terrible talk? You know, like <laughs> it's funny that that twelve minute talk subsumed all of your previous accomplishments. It did. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Yeah. That's why I wanted to bring that that up. Is like it's yeah. just so easy to like discount your own successes. It is. Yeah. Especially in the light of like a recent a recent failure, like that recency right. bias creeps in a lot. Yeah.
1: I like to think that I've gotten pretty sure of myself, but something so far out of my com- outside of my comfort zone, like speaking on the microcom stage yeah. was certainly enough to rattle me for a good hour at mm. least <laughs> yep took a while to recover but uh yeah in that moment when you when you just feel like you've you've done something poorly it's very little consolation that you have accomplishments on your resume i guess
0: isn't that crazy you know? it is yeah. Yeah. yeah and i i wanted to like bring that up and have other people hear that because i think this happens a lot to a lot of people yeah and so i thought it was worth getting it out there a little bit, because there yeah. pro- there probably are a lot of people that are impressed by that accomplishment and, like, look up to you and assume, like, well, if I had done that, like, I would just always be walking around with a permanent strut or something. Right. Uh, and it turns out, in practice, it's kind of like that, I don't know, like the, the hedonic treadmill, where it's like, when you've got the thing, you're like, okay, I got the thing, like, whatever, now it's no big deal anymore. And you, right. you're focused on the next thing or the latest thing.
1: Right. I mean, it's partially not being an ego-driven person, where, like, it's definitely a success, but it it doesn't feel like some crazy unique success because it was five years in the making, you know, hmm. and and there's been so many trials and missteps along the way, and just you know, I don't know everything that goes into building a business. Mm-hmm. Where at the end of the day, it feels like, well, yeah, we we made it here, and made, that might look impressive on the outside, but I'm seeing it from the from the inside
0: perspective and the whole journey to where we made it, you know. Yeah. And uh, totally. But I it's, it it's, it's funny that, the, like, I'm imagining, I'm trying to imagine what you're comparing yourself to. And it sounds like just like out, outlier, like extreme outliers and things where you don't have that inside perspective. Yeah. There's some like awesome quote about like, you're, you're seeing like your full life, but you're seeing other people's highlight reels. Right. And so yeah. it's a da- really dangerous to compare yourself to those other things. Right. That's fascinating to me.
1: Yeah. So when someone like raises a point from your highlight reel, like, oh, you found a drip. It's like,
0: yeah, but I've got the whole story, and it's yeah. not that impressive. I remember how and hard it was, upstage. and <laughs> yeah, how close we yeah. came to dying that one time, and right, all the database yep. queues, yeah, yeah, the ongoing saga, the database, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Well, thanks for letting me talk about that. Yeah, yeah, sure, cool. So we had an interesting thing happening on FormKeep this week, mm-hmm. which is suddenly, for unknown reasons, there are a bunch of Tor exit nodes. That are spamming the crap out of a number of our customers. Oh. And it's really unclear to me why. Like we have like people so like we have people whose forms have just an email address entry and suddenly they're getting all these bogus hotmail and Yahoo and AOL email addresses shoved into them Mm. like every fifteen minutes all day. Interesting. Yeah. Which I don't understand as a spamming tactic. And so I figured you might have some insight into this. I imagine you're dealing with a lot of this, probably from the other side, like people that want to use Drip to do this spamming. Yeah. Actually, we just talked about it a few
1: weeks ago, I think, where um, our public forum endpoints do occasionally get spammed aggressively. Uh-huh. So one of the things we did was, was implemented optional uh, reCAPTCHA, or ca- is it just called CAPTCHA now? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the I'm not a robot checkbox. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so that helps part of the way. It's an annoyance that people have to put that on, you know, if right. they want to mitigate a spam problem. But uh, yeah, there there appears to be no rhyme or reason to it. Hmm. We've noticed it's not like a guaranteed thing that if you have this public form on your website that it's going to get spammed. But as soon as it does get swept up, oftentimes your site is just like forever
0: subject to huh. spam requests. Um, but why? What is the value of, of shoving these email addresses? I'm don't. i pretty sure they're not even valid emails. Yeah, I think it's just a volume
1: play like it is so cheap for them to scrape these sites find form endpoints and just post to them and try to see if that'll yeah I don't know what their end game is to be
0: honest like it would be one thing if like they were submitting like a url like that would make yeah. sense to me mm-hmm. like it's like okay there's some junk and also I want you to click this link and go here or buy this thing mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. but it's they're not
1: yeah I don't know Okay. Now that we dig this deep into
0: it, I, it doesn't make any sense to me either okay. why, right. it, why it happens. Do, so yeah. you you used re, you're using recapture. We're like we're starting to work on basically throttling Tor exit nodes because it's mm-hmm. it's basically all coming from there. And mm-hmm. so we're using Akismet for spam filtering, and it's capturing about two thirds of it, mm-hmm. but there's still about a third that's getting through for whatever reason. And so we're we're working on adding some like a feature basically where if you mark a thing as spam and if it came from a Tor exit node, then we like blacklist that Tor exit nodes for your endpoint for a while, basically. hmm hmm I shouldn't be talking about this. I'm I'm sharing the, the knowledge with the spammers, <laughs> but anyway, that's the gist. <laughs> yeah, they're probably not listening to this podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Akismet does
1: email address spam detection?
0: Uh yes, reasonably well. Okay. Yeah. That's cool.
1: Yeah, we had we <laughs> This is crazy. Did I I don't know if I told the story already, stop me if I did, but we had this customer who was Receiving a bunch of spam signups from Russian email addresses.ru or mail.ru email addresses. And they had set up an automation in DRIP that basically anytime one of those came in, they automatically deleted the email address out mm-hmm. of their account. Huh. So they basically set up their own spam filtering. Yeah. But we, we discovered they had like millions of these email addresses in their account. Wow. So, at first, we thought they were trying to skirt around some billing limitation. Like, these people are taking an email address, sending email, and then deleting them right away, Uh, which we have had happen before. Yeah. And we have some safeguards in place against it now. But Mm -hmm. uh, that's what we thought this person was doing until we discovered that their foreman point was
0: just getting hammered. Wow. What a weird... Vector. it's a bizarre I still don't get it's it. a bizarre yeah if anybody any if anybody sense. gets it like re- please tell me on twitter i would i would love yeah, to know the spammers. root cause here even, yeah even please, if you're a spammer like, let me know
1: like anonymously whatever however sure. you want to do it
0: yeah yeah just just fire <laughs> me 500 million emails with the answer to this question
1: <laughs> yeah hmm. the fact that a spammer too can't seem to nail a good phishing email boggles my mind too mm. like just like if they were really smart wouldn't they just copy the exact text from a real paypal email and not you know Hmm. try to come up with their own copy? I don't know. (laughs) Sure, yeah.
0: (laughs) I don't know. So that's that's, that's been fun. That's like a sand in the gears of progress Mm -hmm. this week, where it's like, this doesn't help anyone. It just prevents jerks from making our lives worse. What a great use of our time. Yeah, unfortunately, we've had quite a bit of that sand in the gears in the drip history. Yeah, I imagine you're a big target for that stuff. Yeah. It's too bad. Although, I suppose it makes your system more resilient for sure
1: yeah it it does build on itself so the more you, you'll put it in a defense this time and then it'll it'll knock down a certain vector of attack so to speak yeah and then something else will come up and you'll put up another defense and after a while you've got a pretty good fortress yeah okay
0: yeah we'll see we'll call it yeah. form keep <laughs> you already have like the little fortress logo exactly so there you go it's appropriate there you go cool yeah. uh anything new in your business world
1: really just trying to get back into it from from being out of town for a while yeah um did
0: some more pairing this week. It's still working well. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I listened back to our episode where we talked about you pairing, which mm-hmm. I never do. I don't know why I decided to do that, but I did. And uh, I agree with what I said about pairing. <laughs> which just that it's great. Yeah, no, I think,
1: it, I think it's really good. And yeah, just a, a very similar example to what we talked about last time. I'm finding a lot of value in working out the initial architecture of features and then turning people loose on them, you know? And it's just, yeah. Mm-hmm. seems to be much more efficient, which is surprising to me at first that, that that's actually saving time,
0: right? I love stuff like that, mm-hmm. where it feels like that this should be a, a compromise or slower and it's actually faster and better. Yeah. I'm so I'm squarely on the pair programming bandwagon. Okay. <laughs> Welcome. It's nice. I like it situationally for me. It's not, it's not great for everything, but when things get thorny, it's so nice to pair on it. Yeah. Or if someone's new it's like a lot of there are a couple, that's, that's. I think those are my two favorite things where it's like it's about like knowledge transfer, like getting somebody up to speed mm-hmm. or when mm-hmm. something is kind of hard. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's really nice to just write code by yourself, and pair programming is I would say its downside is that it's very exhausting. I find it kind of exhausting. yeah, it's like this extended interpersonal interaction plus deep thinking, right? So it does have drawbacks. Yep. but cool yeah, I'm also kind of digging out that whole like get back in town inbox full of stuff. it's yeah. just not that fun no do you know dave thomas i know of him okay so he yeah same um he had this blog post where he said he always had this experience where he would go on vacation and come back and like come back to just so many emails it would like stress him out while on vacation just like thinking about his email inbox filling up and Mm -hmm. so one time he went on vacation and set a filter like a set up a script that emailed everyone back that emailed him and said i've deleted your email uh if it's really urgent throw urgent in the, or like, like, if you just resend it, it'll stay, it'll persist. Hmm. Um, or if it's urgent, like call this person or something. And uh, tried this for one of his vacations. And he said it worked beautifully. Like he came, wow. like it, he relaxed because of it and he came back and there's almost nothing there. Like almost no one like resend him an email, yep. but he did get a bunch of follow-ups from people saying like, that's such a good idea. I have to do this. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That is cool. I like that a lot. That sort of thing appeals to me a lot where it's like, you just turn something on its head. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh man, I'm going to have so much email to follow up on. It's like, what if you just deleted all of it? Would it be fine? Mm-hmm. Like, what if we didn't do this thing? What if we didn't write that code? What if we, you know, just, what if yep. we deleted all my email? Yep. Uh, that stuff appeals to me so much. Put on your contrarian hat. Yeah, exactly. Because sometimes yeah. I think it works really well. How much email do you tend to get in a day? I don't get that much. I, I'm like yeah. a pretty aggressive, I have a lot of filters. So um, I'm right. yeah. And I'm a aggressive unsubscriber and all that. Mm-hmm. But it's probably... St- 20 to 30 emails a day somewhere in there. Yeah. Mine's about the same I think.
1: Well, and a lot of like GitHub notifications and Yeah. There's still noise. It's like a
0: continuous services. process of fighting the noise. Yeah. I feel like apps will often a- like roll out a new like and now here's your weekly stats email or your monthly stats email or something and it's like mm-hmm. oh, and I have to unsubscribe from this too. Yep. <laughs> but uh yeah, it's not it's not too bad. Yeah.
1: It's gradually becoming. I think I brought this up maybe four or five months ago on this podcast, where like every, the feeling of going on vacation and feeling like, you know, things are not moving quite as well when I'm gone, or that mm. there's like a stack of pull requests to review. And that is gradually getting better, nice. which I'm pleased about. And, you know, it's, it's not something that's, you have an overnight fix for. It's a matter of getting the right people in place on your team, getting people up to speed, getting the right, you know, delegating review tasks. Mm-hmm. And all these things are, I'm starting to see the fruits of the labor of doing that because I came back and. Things got shipped while I was gone, and mm-hmm. there, wasn't a, there was a small stack of things needing my review, but
0: not everything, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's very nice. <laughs> I have a story. Um, I was talking to Brendan Schwartz, who's one of the co-founders of Wistia, mm-hmm. and he was saying it had just been like two of them for so long, but uh, eventually they did start hiring people, and he had this experience where he was demoing the product to some people at a conference, and he refreshed like the homepage, and it was different. And, like, he didn't know that was going to be happening and didn't know it was rolling out. And he was just like, oh, my God, like, it just got better and I didn't do it. And he yeah. had a kind of, like, light bulb moment of like, oh, hiring people. I get it now. Yep. That sounds like a nice a nice thing to have happen. It is very nice. It's hard to give up control. And that's something that I think probably warrants a
1: separate conversation. Mm-hmm. The process of, of gradually giving up control when it's when you start out with just two and then totally you know, going to more than two. But it's definitely
0: necessary and worth it. Yeah. Sounds good. Wanna wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap it. Awesome. Today's show was produced and edited by I Don't Have a Pun for Tom's name this week, Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash two thirty-seven. Thanks for listening.